Hey, and welcome to the Weather Channel. I, Allie, personally know that when you're at rock bottom, it can feel like God is an emotionally abusive boyfriend. This podcast exists to disprove the theory that joy and goodness are only found in perfect circumstances. Here, you will hear real stories from people who, when faced with heart-wrenching circumstances, chose joy, whether or not it made sense. Hey, Rebecca. Thank you for joining us today. It's really great to be with you also. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am 36. I live in upstate New York. My husband is an Orthodox priest. We have two children and I deal with chronic illness. Yeah. And I'm super curious to hear about this illness of, of yours today. And um, actually, I don't believe that we have had anybody on who has shared about a chronic illness um, as a mom and as a wife. So I just really appreciate you being here today. And I, I know that there are so many women who are dealing with some kind of chronic illness um, or just suffering. And, and I know that you're really going to encourage people. So thank you again um, for being here today. Would you share with us, um, let's just dive right in because I know that you have a short amount of time. You're like really in the thick of motherhood and you have to run just about um, the chronic illness that you are dealing with and how it affects your day-to-day life and, and all of the things. Sure. I have what's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome which is a rare genetic disorder. Um, I personally think it's not as rare as um, what's really rare are doctors being able to diagnose it. And a lot of people that have unexplained medical issues end up finding on later in life when they are able to find a doctor who understands EDS, um, find out that that was really the underlying cause. So I have EDS and because of EDS, I also have POTS, mast cell activation syndrome and gastroparesis. Um, POTS basically means that the blood vessels in my body are too loose so that when I stand up, my, um, blood rushes out of my brain and I get, uh, lightheaded and I black out fairly often. Um, and it causes lots of issues like nausea. It can make it difficult to exercise, which thankfully I've been fine with. And mass cell activation syndrome is basically... It's like my body is constantly having allergic reactions to things that people don't normally have allergic reactions to. It's kind of like the best way I can explain it, but it doesn't result in symptoms like a runny nose and a sneeze. It's like debilitating fatigue, migraines, um, brain fog, things like that. Mm. And gastroparesis just means that my stomach is partially paralyzed. Thankfully, mine isn't that bad. There are quite a lot of people with this condition that end up on feeding tubes because their stomach can't handle anything. Um, I am not even close to that point, um, but it does cause a lot of problems with eating. And the baseline is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome just means that my body produces all collagen incorrectly. And since collagen is located to your entire body, it can affect organs and just everything. Mm. Um, so the reason why my stomach is partially paralyzed is because of the collagen in my stomach isn't quite right. So it makes my stomach not work properly. Um, and the reason with POTS is like my veins are a little too loose because be, like there's just collagen everywhere. So you can't fix it by taking collagen supplements because any type of collagen that your body consumes when you're like, when your body's making it, it will still make it incorrectly. So there's really nothing that you can do about it except, um, try to stay strong and active. Um, the main issue with my type of EDS is 
it's called hypermobile, it's type three, and it primarily will affect people's joints. That will be like the most noticeable thing. Like you can have dislocations and a lot of people end up in wheelchairs in their twenties or thirties because their um, hips or maybe knees start dislocating when they try to walk or it just causes so much pain that it's just very painful for them to walk. Oh, wow. I thankfully am nowhere near that myself. I was able to find out early enough and start doing preventative measures. So hopefully it won't get to that stage. Wow. Okay. So when were you diagnosed with this? I was diagnosed with this about three years ago. What happened was that I had a TBI and while I was still recovering from it, I was in a car accident and got a contra coup concussion, which means the concussion was in the front of my head and in the back of my head at the same time. So it was kind of like having two concussions on top of an already healing TBI. And it just knocked me into a whirlwind of uh, symptoms. So I was throwing up constantly and had horrible migraines and I couldn't think. It was really terrible. It affected my emotions as well because the part of my brain that was injured was the part that um, deals with emotions and impulsivity. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very difficult. I went from being totally fine to like deep depression, Mm -hmm. like in an, like, like someone just turned a switch and the switch was the brain injury. Um, And so I wasn't able to be active and through that time, um, my EDS got worse because it gets worse when you're not active. So I spent about a year not being able to figure out why my head injury wasn't getting better and why I was dealing with so many debilitating symptoms. And I went from a specialist to specialist and then eventually I was able to find the doctor that I have now. Okay. So about three years ago. Okay. How does this affect you from day to day, like in everyday things like motherhood and being a wife and all the things? Sure. Right now it's a lot more manageable um, because over time I've worked at chipping away a lot of my symptoms. But so currently the biggest thing that comes up is that I'll get migraines and I'm not expecting it. Like, I mean, who ever can predict a migraine, Um, but they can be really, really debilitating and I'll just have to cancel things or I'll have to explain to the kids that I'm feeling really terrible. I'm sorry, I can't do this thing with you that we had originally talked about. So mostly what I do is I adjust expectations so that the kids always know that um, there's always a possibility that we might have to be flexible with plans. So I try not to have anything ever set in stone with them. Mm -hmm. And my husband also has been very good about um, knowing when sometimes he'll have to make dinner, which is often calling it a pizza Mm -hmm. Um, or uh, helping to help the kids with school because we're also homeschooling. So mostly it's just really unpredictable and I never know when I'll have to spend a few hours lying down or cancel plans, but, um, I mostly try to just keep my plans fluid so that it's always okay. Wow. That's such great perspective. I bet your kids have grown really resilient and really flexible through that. Have you seen growth from them in their, in their personal lives, their spiritual lives? I think so. It has been a bit of an issue because they end up getting afraid that I'll die sometimes, which is really difficult. Um, but they also have learned how to be more independent. They got really good at getting lunch because that was like one of the first things when they were older. I just would stock food that they could get themselves for lunch, um, like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Or, and I feel like, at least for me, I'm always tempted to like take on too many tasks 
and not give them enough independence. Like, you know, you guys can clean your room, you can vacuum your room, all that stuff. Um, so it kind of forced me to take a step back and let the kids do jobs. And I also had to be okay with knowing that maybe they wouldn't be exactly the way that I would want them to be, but they were still getting done. Yeah. So yes, the kids have definitely had to learn how to be more independent. Okay. Um, what has been the hardest thing for you, would you say, uh, through being diagnosed and just everything that you have been through? The hardest thing for me, honestly, was being okay with not being able to be productive in the house. I didn't realize how much of my self-worth up to that time had come from what I do. And then when I wasn't able to do my normal tasks, I really struggled with feeling terrible about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a hard time asking for help. I would feel bad even asking my husband to like, go bring me a sandwich or something. Mm -hmm. And it's silly. Um, but it really brought out things in my life that I had never had to deal with before, mm -hmm. which was my self-worth coming from what I'm doing. Yeah. So it was honestly amazing and extremely healing for me. Although it was very, very difficult to learn that lesson, yeah. um, to just be okay with saying, I can't do it. And I have to stop and take a nap right now, mm. or I need to ask for help. Um, those are like really hard lessons for me. Yeah. But I've learned now that like I have value, not because of what I do, but because I'm a person and I've always felt like that for other people, but I could never really feel like it for myself, like really in my heart. And I understand that a lot better now. Hmm. How do, how have you, um, seen the Lord work through your life? Like, what are some things that he has just really, obviously what you just shared, but is there anything that sticks out that for somebody who is also struggling in any, on any end of the spectrum, whether it's being diagnosed or maybe going through a divorce or anything just extremely hard. Um, what would you share with them about what the Lord has taught you? I think probably the number one thing that I've learned is how to be gentle with myself and to not judge myself. And God is kind and gracious and forgiving, and he doesn't expect us to just be machines running around doing everything. And I just had to, like, I've learned how to be more gentle with myself. And I really feel like God kind of led me to that place because it's not something I would have done unless I was forced to. Hmm. Um, Cause God doesn't judge us the way we judge ourselves half the time. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's such a good reminder. If you're willing, I would love to hear how this affected your marriage, because I think that, and just, um, you know, you've shared about how your husband does care for you so well now, and you're obviously, you have healthy rhythms happening, but I think that how trauma or illness um, or any type of suffering affects marriage is something that isn't talked about enough. So would you be willing to share with us and just go a little bit deeper about how this did affect your marriage and, and what you've seen come from that? Sure. Um, well, a part of it is a little bit repetitive, but, um, just bear with me mm -hmm. when I first, when I had the first injury at the TBI, um, it's kind of silly. I actually just walked into a shelf, but I hit a part of my head just right so that I when I would wake up for weeks actually months afterwards I wouldn't know if I was an adult or a teenager mm -hmm. and I wouldn't know anything about my life I wouldn't know where I lived what state I was in if I was I knew nothing 
And I would have to look around the room. And as I looked around familiar objects, my memories would all come back. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't like literally every time I woke up, but it was very, very common for about three to four months after the injury. Um, and then during the day, I would also forget things and it was really tough. But during that time, my husband had to take over everything. I couldn't do anything at all. I couldn't make dinner. I couldn't get up to get myself a glass of water half the time. Our kids were much younger then. I think they were probably five and six, I think. And so they needed a lot more care. Uh, he had to become the primary parent and the primary homemaker, and he still had his full-time job of managing a church. So it was very difficult for him. Um, however, when you're in kind of a crisis moment, you find strengths that you didn't know that you previously had. So we were able to get through that part well enough. For me, I had to learn that he married me because of who I was, not because of what I can do. And I really struggled with that um, temptation to think that, well, he married me when I'm healthy and he didn't expect me to get unhealthy and like maybe he made a bad choice. And I know that's kind of a, a terrible thing to think, but when you're in the middle of dealing with a debilitating um, disease, and in that case, we weren't even sure all of what was going on with me, um, it's, it's really easy to think that way, especially now that I know what I have and I know that I could end up in a wheelchair needing a lot more support than what I do now. Um, it's kind of a scary thought, but my husband has always assured me that he married me for who I am and it's not about what I can contribute or do. Um, and it really helped our marriage to get closer through this whole process um, because I realized deep inside that he really loved me for who I was. It was kind of profound, I guess, in a way. Mm. Um, it still is hard though, because we still try to manage everything. And one of our more recent realizations is that um, he is afraid to ask me for help um, now that I'm doing a lot better. So we've just had to, you know, every few months or so, just have an honest talk about how things are going. Mm. And so we tried to come up with a better way of um, managing expectations around the house um, because I don't want him to feel like he can't ask for help either. And especially when I'm doing much better. So we really just have had to have a lot of open communication and both of us being okay with being flexible. Yeah. Would you mind sharing with us how you communicate with your kids about what is going on just for help for, for moms who are, are dealing with a similar thing? Again, it can be just so underrated how relationships develop when you're, you're suffering or struggling. Yeah, it's really true. Um, for us, it's been going on for a few years and our kids were so young when it started that for them, like mostly what they can remember is me having to deal with chronic illness issues. Mm. Um, so when they were younger, I tried doing a more um, simplistic explanation. Like, you know, I have a brain injury. It's hard for me to think right now. That was really difficult for them at first because I really couldn't think clearly. So if they came to me with a problem, I might just give them the wrong answer, not even meaning to, but because I couldn't really remember very well and I couldn't think and I couldn't problem solve. So I'd have to say to them all the time, I'm so sorry, but my brain is hurt and I can't think. So you're going to have to ask dad. Hmm. Then when I started getting better and I could think clearly again, 
they had to make a new adjustment because they were so used to writing me off as not being able to answer their questions that they started not trusting me. So when I would give them an answer, they would be like, are you sure, mom? Are you sure it's not your brain? And then of course I'd get annoyed, but it made sense that it was just a process for them to adjust to me not being able to answer their questions and then me being able to answer their questions. And now they've just learned how to be more flexible. Some of the practical ways that I deal with things is that I don't often tell them all of the plans that I would like to do that are based on if I'm feeling okay that day. And I kind of wait until we're closer to it so that I know if I'll be able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I did that for quite a while because it is really difficult for them to expect like, oh, we're going to go to the lake today and it's going to be fun and we're going to have a great time. And then I wake up that morning with a migraine and have to cancel it. It's just really difficult for them. So I would try to keep plans kind of close to home base until I knew that it would be okay. But now that they're older, I let them in on more of the planning, but I always just remind them that, you know, you have to keep in mind if it's a day that I end up not being able to do it, you're going to have to be okay with that, but it's all right. We'll have a makeup day. Hmm. Um, and they're really good about it, but it's because they've also been dealing with it for so many years. Hey, so one of my favorite things to do is sit and read the reviews that you all have left because it reminds me that this podcast does matter and that I am speaking to real people. When you are talking to yourself into a phone or a computer alone, sometimes it's easy to forget that there are real people out there listening and that what you're doing does matter. If you have left a review, thank you so much. If you have not had the chance to leave a review, would you do that today? It helps others in need of hope find this podcast and know that it's actually worthwhile and worth their time listening to. If you don't have the time to leave a review today, though, would you simply leave a rating? All it takes is the tap of your finger. My favorite ratings are five-star ratings, and your review may even be featured on our social media if you have the chance to leave a review today. So, Thank you for supporting the Weather Channel. Now back to the show. What are some very practical things that you did to allow yourself to heal? Maybe some boundaries or habits that you developed to just help yourself function. Almost like you were talking about being gentle with yourself. Maybe you can touch on ways that you're more gentle or habits that you've developed to be more gentle with yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say one of my number one things when I was getting used to it is I would ask myself, if my best friend was describing to me how I felt right now, what would I tell her to do? And I would often be much more gentle with my friends than I would for myself. So my motto was treat myself like I would treat my best friend. Mm -hmm. So if I had a headache and I felt horrible, if I would imagine my friend having a headache and feeling horrible and I would tell her, go rest, you don't need to clean the dishes right now, stop. I would try to turn that inwards to myself to give myself permission to do all of those things. And so that was one of the number one practical things I did a lot to help me to adjust to this new way of life. Um, before the brain injury, I still had Ehlers-Danlos, but it really wasn't that debilitating and I was able to function really well. But the brain injury was really what kicked all of my chronic health things off. So I went from, um, instead of going from like zero to a hundred, I went from a hundred to zero. Hmm. So it was a really big thing to learn very quickly. 
the other thing I did a lot was honestly, I would just ask my husband. For me, it was easy because he does most of his work from home, but I couldn't think clearly for quite a while. So I would just tell him and ask him, like, what do you think? So it would be stuff that was super obvious. Like, I feel really bad. I think I might throw up and I have a migraine, but I really, really want to clean the kitchen right now. And I would just present it to him and he would always say like, go lay down. Don't, don't clean the kitchen. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and it sounds silly, but like, I just had this constant motor inside of me that wanted to just keep going. Mm-hmm. And when my sense of reasoning wasn't fully there, I couldn't tell myself to stop, even though I felt terrible. So I had to learn to like shoot things off of people that were close to me that could help me, um, while I was still going through that, um, process of my brain healing Hmm. Um, and that did go on for quite a while because the TBI lasted for months and then the car accident happened and then I was also having issues for months Um, so practically speaking I relied on the wisdom of my husband and some friends that I would text now and then if I felt like I needed it Hmm. I mean it's not like I would forget like you know how to wash dishes or like um, really basic tasks it was more like um, not being able to problem solve really well, especially over if I need to take a break or not. Hmm. The other thing that, um, we've done that was really helpful is that we put a whiteboard up on our refrigerator, half on my, half of it is my side and the other half is my husband's. And it's a non-aggressive way of reminding the other person something that you would really like them to do. Um, and I like it that way because my memory is still very bad. So my husband could mention something like, oh yeah, totally. I'll definitely get onto that. And then I'll forget that he ever even said it. Mm -hmm. Um, And neither of us want to be like nagging at each other. And since I still have problems, um, I don't want him to have to stop work in the middle of his full-time job to be like, can you do this? So it's been a really practical way of us dealing with things around the house. Mm -hmm. So you touched on, um, friends have, did you see your, any of your relationships with your friends change after what you went through or did your relationships with friends grow stronger? I definitely felt like a lot of them grew stronger. Um, it was really difficult going through this, that process, especially when like I couldn't text very well or even communicate very well, but Um, I learned how much my friends really cared about me. And that was really special. Hmm. Um, My one friend got on a train and came from a few states away to come over and help after I had the car accident. And it was just really sweet. Um, And then they were always there to like back me up when I needed it, when I needed moral support. Hmm. Um, It was really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So as we are wrapping up, would you share with us just the most important things that, or maybe even just the most important thing that the Lord taught you through all of this? Sure. I would say there are two things that come to my mind right now. The first one is what I've already kind of been pushing a lot, which is to be kind to myself. God loves us so much for who we are, just because we're people and we're part of his creation. And I kind of had to learn to love myself that way. Um, that it's not about everything I do. You know, it's not all about just our works, but God loves us. And to accept that, um, that I don't have to be like the super person 
that I always kind of wanted to be. I could just be me mm. and God loves me for that. Mm. Uh, the other thing is that I really had to learn how to trust God. It's really difficult when you're faced with a debilitating disease that gets worse over time. Mm. Um, when you see so many people that um, have gotten EDS so much worse than I do. Um, for example, like it can get so bad that when you pick up a cup, your like hand dislocates, like it can be really bad. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I don't know what my future will be, I've had to really learn how to trust God that it'll be okay. And that he'll help me through it. Mm-hmm. And that I don't always have to know what my future is going to be. Cause I mean, really none of us know what our future is going to be. Anything could happen at any moment that changed things, but we still kind of get this sense that everything is where we want it to be. And we kind of have expectations set for ourselves, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden when you're faced with a surprise injury that changes your life, and then you find out through that process, you have this degenerative disease. Um, you really learn how to take things in the moment and to trust God that he'll take care of you as things are going. Mm-hmm. And if things go, if things go poorly and you're really struggling, it doesn't mean that God's not there helping you. He is. Um, he's always there. And sometimes the hardest things that I've gone through where I felt like, why did God let me go through this? Were the moments that I learned the most in life that have made me who I am today. Mm. And it was kind of hard for me to go through that and realize that some of those times when I felt alone and I wondered where God was for letting me go through it, um, where he used those moments to really change my life for the better. And I'm not saying that like he caused them or made them happen to me. It's just, we live in a fallen world and things happen. Mm. Um, But God can use those experiences to really change our lives and help us so much more than we ever realized. Mm, yes. Oh my goodness. That is speaking to my heart. <laughs> yes, it is. It's so true. And thank you for sharing so openly and transparently. I don't, um, it's just so encouraging to me just to see you seeking the Lord, even with, with all that you're going through. And, and it's just been such a great reminder today to be gracious with myself and with others. And, and you just never know what others might be going through. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for, for being here and and sharing your story with us and friends, for those of you listening, Rebecca has a really beautiful Instagram that I think you would just be blessed by looking at Rebecca, would you share with us your Instagram handle so that, um, people can follow you and connect with you? Sure. It's my name. So Rebecca Bethany, R-E-B-E-K-A-H-B-E-T-H-A-N-Y. Um, and if you type that in, my account will surely come up. Awesome. Yeah. And it is just gorgeous. It is such a delight to see your dresses and your fields and all of the things pop up. So um, thank thank you you for being here today, Rebecca. Really quickly, I want to end just on a fun question. If you could have one wish granted today, what would you ask for? Hands down, it would be going to Scotland. It would just be like blinking, opening my eyes. And there I am in Scotland with my camera and (laughs) the ability to take really fun photos. I've been dying to go back. 
Oh my goodness. I can, uh, that makes so much sense because your Instagram almost just, it like screams travel and beauty and rolling hills. And that, I, I love that. I would go with you if I could. <laughs> That would be great. That'd be perfect. That, that is so fun to imagine. Well, I know that our time is short, so we will wrap it up, but thank you again so much for being here, Rebecca, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for joining us today. I hope you're not falling for a lie that you could never be holy enough to respond to your situation as our guest today did. I know that's sometimes where my head goes when I hear stories of holy struggle, so can I remind you that you have everything you need to respond the same way? Jesus offers hope in our pain, and it usually only requires a perspective shift to notice it. So whether it's time in His Word, going for a walk through creation, or a heart-to-heart with a friend, this is your weekly reminder to take time to snatch that much-needed perspective shift. Thank you.